Take your Bibles and go to Third John, and uh, it sure has been a beautiful week, amen? amen? Wonderful weather, and praise the Lord for that, and a uh, great day to be in God's house, and uh, appreciate Jed and Becca for doing that, for playing those songs, thank you very much, it's good to have you guys here. We're in the third epistle of John, and uh, we're nearing the end after uh, over a year of being in the epistles of John, but there's just so much uh, to look at and so much that we can learn uh, from it, and uh, we probably have a couple more weeks left of uh, this th- book, Third John, but so far in this epistle, we've seen a really great contrast between two men that were under John's leadership, and that is, of course, Gaius and Diotrephes. Now, John, he condemns the wickedness of Diotrephes, as we've seen over the last few weeks, and he does so against the backdrop of Gaius' righteousness. We know that Gaius was a righteous man. He was really the ideal church member, if you will. Uh, And what we find, though, concerning Diotrephes, when we closely examine verse 10, as we have already, and as we examine verse 11, is what we'll find one day when all things are revealed by God, with many people. And what we find with Diotrephes is a man that was part of a church, but he was not part of the kingdom of God. And this is a common occurrence, unfortunately, in many local churches. You know, there are many churches that are filled with people that are faithful to the church, they're part of the church. Their, member, their, their name is even written in the membership role of the church, yet their name will not be found written in the book of life. And like Diotrephes, many mirror Satan in their behavior and in their words and in their lifestyle instead of mirroring God. And the reason for that is simply because their spiritual father is Satan and they're not of God. And we see two things with Theotrephes that would be really a tragedy if it were to be true of anybody that regularly attends Shiretown Baptist Church. And the first tragedy is one that claims to be a Christian, but their lifestyle is inconsistent with that claim. And this is a tragedy because it tarnishes the name of Christ, and it makes His church, which is, by the way, His beloved bride, look bad. And this is exactly what Diotrephes did. But the second tragedy is to have people in this church, like Diotrephes, that have heard the true gospel Time and time and time again, yet they remain lost in their sins. It's a tragedy to have people that possess a head knowledge of Christ, but they have no change of heart, no change of life, and no change of desires, and therefore they are remaining uh, stubbornly lost in their sins and in opposition to God. And that really is probably one of the greatest tragedies that we find across churches all over America. 
And if either of those are true for you, then listen, it is a tragedy and it's a terrible, terrible thing. But because you are here under the preaching of God's word, there is hope. The word of God, it brings understanding. It changes lives. It opens blind eyes. And it's my prayer that it'll do just that for each one of us here today. The title of this message is simply The Unsaved Church Member. And this describes Diotrephes, but it unfortunately describes many people today. And I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Does that describe you? You say, well, no, I'm not a church member. Okay, well, the unsaved church attender then. You're in church, but are you saved? Now, there may be many that don't like what is said today. And you might even get angry. And I, I've, done, I've, I've done a lot of extra praying about this message because this is a, lot, a lot of the, what's going to be talked about is a hard thing. It's not necessarily popular. But before you get angry or you get upset or you make quick judgments, then I, I want you to just first examine the Scriptures and see if what I'm saying is of God because in the end, that's all that matters. That's it. Your emotional feelings about what you think, that does not matter. And I want you to know this, what you've grown up with and what you've always been taught does not matter if it's unbiblical. The only thing that matters is what the Bible teaches. So I want to say true to the word of God. And if that means that some people... Whether you're a member or not, if that means that you get upset, hey, if it's a Bible truth, then you go ahead and you be upset. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. This, what we're going to look at this morning is something that really weighs heavy on me, and it's, it's a, a burden, and it's, it's troublesome. Let's look at 3 John, verse 11. The Bible says, Beloved, Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you'll just help us this morning. Lord, I pray that your word will open blind eyes. And that the Holy Scripture will just show us exactly what we need to be shown this morning. Help us not to come before you today as your word is preached with uh, preconceived assumptions, Lord, or uh, thoughts. Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to see the truth of your word. And that we'll allow that to have preeminence. And that we'll allow that to be uh, what we believe. Because it is your word. It is holy. It is pure. It is perfect. I pray that you'll help me, that you'll use what's said this morning for your honor and glory, and that you'll work in spite of me, in spite of my sin, in spite of my weaknesses and my uh, frailness, Lord. I pray that you'll just do the work, because only you can. God, I pray that you'll just soften hearts. I have no doubt in my mind that there are people here right now that they are already putting up a wall of defense. 
when their heart is hardened against you, Lord, I pray you'll soften their heart and help them to see the truth and to give your word a chance. I pray, Lord, that you'll uh, just convict those that are sitting with us today that are not saved. That you'll help them to see the truth of the gospel and that they'll repent and believe. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with the people here this morning with us that are complacent and indifferent and they, they don't really care about the things of God. I pray that you'll open their eyes and help them to get on fire for you because that's what we need. God, just be honored and glorified in everything that's said and done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here in the first, or verse 11 here, he, he, John says that word, beloved. And again, he, he calls guys beloved, and we've seen this happen before in verse 2. And he's just speaking to the fact that Gaius is very dear to John. And after writing of the evil works of Diotrephes, Gaius uh, is commanded to follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. And that word follow comes from a Greek word that means to imitate and to mimic. And it's a, a verb in the present tense. And John is telling Gaius, hey, do not have the habit of following evil. Do not have the habit of imitating evil. And he actually was really telling him, Hey, avoid mimicking Diotrephes, because his works are evil. Now, Diotrephes, I, we've kind of mentioned this before, but I want you to understand something. Diotrephes was not just an attender of this church that John wrote to and wrote of. He was a leader of this church. He had authority to reject people. He had authority to cast people out of this church. And by the way, he did that, and he did so unjustly. But Diotrephes and his actions, it really made it clear that he was not qualified for church leadership in any way. He was not qualified to be a pastor. He was not qualified to be a deacon. He was not qualified to be in any position of leadership. And we know that from verse 9 and 10. Let's read that again. We've already gone through it, but I want to just remind you, look at verse 9. It says, I wrote unto the church, John said, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. From those verses, we see that Diotrephes was selfish. He was not hospitable. He was full of empty talk. He was speaking evil words. He was divisive. And he was a man of division. And those flaws would disqualify him from any form of church leadership according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go there. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll start with verse 2. And as we read this, I want you to to think, does Diotrephes meet these qualifications? Look at chapter two or chapter three, verse two. Chapter three, verse two of First Timothy it says this: A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine nor striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own. Uh, house uh, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, and how shall he uh, take care of the church of God? Not a novice, 
lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacon so be grave, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. So again, tell me, does that sound like Diotrephes? Not in the slightest. His deeds were evil. He did many evil things. And the, the evil that John speaks of, actually, it is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 1 when it speaks of those that were given over to a reprobate mind. As it says this, it says that they were filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, Implaceable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And again, those things, much of those describes the deeds of Diotrephes. And John's challenge to Gaius was to follow good instead of the evil that was found in Diotrephes. And that word good, it simply comes from a Greek word that means upright, honorable, acceptable to God. It is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, as it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's saying, mimic good. Follow good. Imitate good. In other words, be like Christ. Imitate him. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul writes, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Listen, that word followers there, it means imitators. Be an imitator of God. Look at verse 2. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that nor warmonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Again, that word in the first verse there, followers, imitators. He's saying, be like God. Walk in the ways of God. And then Paul, he lists out that, those things that we should avoid, and much again, much of which Diotrephes took part in. But Paul says, be not partakers with them. Do not follow after the unsaved. Do not follow after the ways of the pagans. And he reminds them that they used to dwell in darkness, but now 
They are children of light. They are children of God. And he instructs them to live as such. Church, listen. Do you imitate God? Do you live as a child of God? In the workplace. Around town. In your dealings with other people. Do your actions reflect God and therefore good, or Satan and therefore evil. Diotrephes did not imitate God. His life did not reflect that of a Christian. He followed after that which was evil. But I want you to understand as we see this whole subject matter, if you will, of of the unsaved church member, John's indictment of Diotrephes went beyond just him stating, oh, Diotrephes and his works are evil and then just listing them out. John also clearly indicates that Diotrephes was not even a true Christian. Now, the context, again, sheds light on this truth. We already read verse 9 and verse 10 of of our text. We already know the the evil works of Diotrephes. But let's go back to 3 John and look again at verse 11. Look at verse 11. I want you to notice how John tells Gaius... After he tells of his evil works, what he says here in verse 11. Again, you have to look at the context of this. Look at verse 11 of 3 John. It says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil. And again, he just listed out all these evil works of Diotrephes. Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Now, he's saying, do not mimic these evil works. Do not mimic the works of Diotrephes. But then look at the last half of verse 11, the part I haven't read yet. He says, He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. He is clearly telling Gaius that Diotrephes, this doer of evil, has not seen God. What does that even mean? He hasn't seen God. Nobody's seen God. No. That's not what that means. He's not saying that he has not literally seen God. It it comes from a a Greek word that the the phrasing of that means that he has not come to know God's majesty. He has not come to know his saving purposes and his will. In other words, he was not born again. Now why would John indicate that Diotrephes was not saved? Was it because he messed up this one time and he handled the situation very poorly? No. The verse says, He that doeth evil hath not seen God. And that word doeth is a present and active verb. Listen, this is so important to understand. It's not speaking of a single or sporadic sin. When it says that word doeth, it's not speaking of just a a, a random sin here and there. It is speaking of an unrighteous pattern of living. It's talking about a continual, habitual sin. And again, that word doeth, look again at verse 10. It's, It's here too. Verse 10, wherefore if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. I'll remember them, he says. So John, we know that he writes heavily about these types of people. We've gone through it. We've seen how uh, John states that the actions of a person, it demonstrates their true spiritual state. And listen, according to the Bible, a true Christian acts like a Christian. 
Go to third, uh, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. I'm going to look at verse 6. Start there. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him. There's that word, the phrasing again. Neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And look at what it says in verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. For he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, this is not at all saying, if you sin, you're unsaved. That's not at all what it's saying here. Uh, again, it's, it's speaking of somebody that is living in continual and perpetual and habitual sin. He's saying, look, if you are living a lifestyle contrary to God, then you have not seen God and you don't even know Him. It, look, if you're saved, you cannot live your life in constant disobedience to God. That is what it is saying. And John says that those that live in continual disobedience to God, they are of the devil, and therefore they are unsaved. You may say, well, how can John say this? And how can you say this? Because as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Listen closely. When God saves a man, who is lost in sin and turns him into a new creature, the proof that God has turned him into a new creature is that he lives like a new creature. Look, we could never look at a caterpillar and truthfully say, oh look, it's a butterfly. Because it's not. We know it's not a butterfly. You say, well, I mean, how do we know that it's not a butterfly? Well, for one, a butterfly has wings. Right? It, it flies. It doesn't crawl around. It doesn't squirm. And in order for a caterpillar to turn into a butterfly, it has to go through that transformation and regeneration process where it becomes a new creature. And likewise, as the Bible says, you will know them by their fruits. And somebody who has been truly saved, they will have new desires. They are a new creature and they have a new life. You know, one of the greatest lies that's believed by many people today, and again, in many churches, is like Diotrephes. They believe that they're saved, when in reality, they're not. Now again, I know that some of you here, you may not like what is being said here, and don't think for a moment that I am trying to get people to doubt their salvation. I am trying to be biblical. I'm trying to shed light on the truth, which will be very uncomfortable for you if you're living a lie. And if you don't like what I'm, what I'm saying, you don't like what we see from Scripture, then here's what you need to do. You need to ask yourself this question. Why? Why don't I like it? Why am I bothered by it? And I want you to understand that I don't want to be held accountable for not preaching the true gospel. You know, how often have I seen children and teenagers and even adults, 
go to a church service, a conference. They raise their hand at the end of the service because they want to go to heaven. They get taken to a room. They get talked to for five minutes. And they get convinced to say a prayer. And then they're told that they're saved. And I say this with shame. But I've been guilty of that. I know God's going to hold me accountable for it. But not anymore. How often have I seen that though? And what's tragic about that is that after that, there's no change of life. There's no new nature. There's no new desires. There's nothing. And they continue to do evil and they continue to live how they always have lived. Why? It's not because they're backslidden. It's because they do not know God. And swarms of people just like that are holding on to a promise of a man that told them that they're all set and they're on their way to heaven and one day they're going to wake up in hell. I have a testimony, a brief one that I asked. There's a relative of mine and she had this exact thing happen. She thought she was saved. She was told she was saved. But praise God, she realized she was not. And unfortunately, her story is like many others, except in many cases, in too many cases, they don't realize it until it's too late. This is what this lady said. She said, I made a profession of faith as a child. I don't recall the details, but I do remember repeating a prayer. And my mother vaguely remembers me telling her one day after VBS. She told me I should get baptized, so I did. Over the years, I struggled with my eternal security, but was too ashamed to talk about it with anyone. But on August 18, 2019, which was several years later, I was listening to a sermon at church and Romans 10 was being preached on. I had recently heard several messages on forgiveness and being born a sinner. I knew at that moment the reason I was struggling was because I didn't know the Lord as my personal Savior. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? I had called on Him by repeating a prayer, but without truly believing first. So that evening I bowed my head in repentance and asked the Lord to forgive me my sins and to save me believing first on the righteousness of Christ, being raised from the dead, and confessing with my mouth unto salvation. I praise the Lord that she saw the truth. But often this is a story of many people, and again, most of the time, they don't actually realize the truth. Many that attend church, they believe that they're saved while they continue to live in habitual darkness and habitual sin, and just like Diotrephes, they have no conviction. But I want you to understand, church, that nowhere in the Bible... Will you find a person that comes to know Christ only to have him become an accessory or an add-on to their life? Nowhere in the Bible do you see saving faith result in a life that's unchanged. Quite the opposite, actually. You look at Saul. We talked about him this morning. Or Paul. After his salvation, he was a murderer of Christians. He was a persecutor of the church. And then he would get saved and he would become a pillar of the church. He would uh, go on to plant several for the glory of God in his lifetime. You look at Zacchaeus, we all know about him. He was a thief of a tax collector. And then what happened? He met Jesus Christ. He trusted in him and his life changed. And everybody that he had stolen from, he repaid them. And even more. You look at the thousands of people in the early church in Acts that trusted Christ. They were baptized. They were added to the church. They were, their lives were changed. So we answer this question this morning. Where did we ever get the idea that somebody could be saved and still live exactly as they were before. Because I know it didn't come from the Bible. And such carelessness. In so called Christianity. Is very revealing. Listen. 
There's no change of life that happens many times in people's salvation because true Christianity has nothing to do with praying a prayer. It has nothing to do with an emotional decision. It has nothing to do with only knowing of Jesus. True biblical Christianity proclaims ye must be born again. Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And look at verse 1. John chapter 3 verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now this chapter, it's one of the most well-known chapters in Scripture, simply because of verse 16. But the prior verses really provide a lot more richness than that single verse does. And here Christ is, he's conversing with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, And he came to him in secret, and the Pharisees, they were dedicated to religious actions, but they did not know God. And like Diotrephes, they were religious, yet lost. But here he was, searching, hence this meeting. And Christ tells him, unless a man is born again, or rather born of God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He didn't say... Unless you go to church, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He does not say, unless you pray a prayer, you cannot see the kingdom of God. No, he says, you need to be born again. He says that you need to have a spiritual transformation done by the Holy Spirit of God in order to have eternal life. You need to become a child of God by trusting in and turning to Christ. Now, we read there that Nicodemus, he was confused by his statement, by Jesus' statement, that he had to be born again. He thought that he meant a a physical rebirth. But Jesus explains, no, no, this is a spiritual rebirth. Look at verse 5. It says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Look, Jesus refers here to water, He's not referring to literal water, but rather the need for cleansing. And often in the Old Testament, this water is used figuratively to to refer to a renewal or a spiritual cleansing, especially in conjunction with the Spirit, as we see here in verse 5. He's explaining to Nicodemus, you need a spiritual washing, a spiritual purification of your soul. And this can only happen if you trust in and cling to Christ and not religious activities. As Diotrephes, he was a lost church member. He was a lost leader. Nicodemus, too, was a lost religious leader. All they were doing was playing church. They showed up to church, they did their thing, and they left. Listen closely. Playing church will not get you anything except for hell. That's it. Nicodemus had not been born again. So I ask you this question. Have you been born again? I don't ask if you said a prayer. I don't ask if you walked down an aisle. I don't ask if you made a decision. Have you been born again? Has God changed 
your heart. So that the sin that you once loved, you now hate. Has he changed your heart so much that the Christ that you once hated, you now love? Has his Holy Spirit worked in you so that you can no longer live as the heathen and enjoy it? Have you been born again? Can you say with Paul when you sin, as he said in Romans chapter 7, what I hate that I do, O wretched man that I am, but I delight in the law of God. Do you hear the word and the voice of God as it's preached and have a longing to obey it? Is your heart so gripped with love for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, knowing that He died and took the wrath of God on Himself for you, that you just desperately desire to follow Him. Let's go to John chapter 10, a few pages over. John chapter 10, look at verse 26. In verse 26... It says, and Jesus is speaking here, and he says, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. And look what he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Notice, before we continue on, notice he doesn't say they might follow me. No, they follow me. They do follow me. They will follow me. And look at verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. Praise God for that. Verse 29. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. A double promise. Verse 30. And I and my Father are one. Look, those that our God's children will strive to follow and obey Him. Why? Because they're new creatures and they have new desires. And as this passage says, those that are truly His sheep are secure forever. And in order to be eternally saved, you need to be saved to begin with. R.C. Sproul said of salvation and eternal security, he said if you have it, you can never lose it. And if you seemingly lose it, then you never actually had it. Have you been born again? Or are you like Diotrephes and an unsaved church member or an unsaved attender? Look, I want scripture to do the work. You may think, well, how do I know if I'm born again? You may be here this morning and wonder that. But as you are going to be a new creature in Christ with new desires, God will also do many great works within you that will make it very, very clear that you have been born again. Now, some of you are here and you need to repent and be saved. You, you just need to do it. And again, you say, well, how do I know? Well, that's not for me to tell. That's for Scripture to tell. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. We've seen a lot of these as we've gone through this epistle. But 1 John chapter 1, again, these in 1 John, it's full of tests. How do I know if I'm saved? Well... Here's some test for you. How do I know if I need to repent and be saved? Ask yourself these questions that are provided by Scripture. And John, he, he gives us these tests to help people know, for one, whether or not they are saved, but also to, uh, so that they could tell whether or not other people were saved. Look at verse 6. The first question that you need to ask, according to Scripture, 
is this. Am I walking in darkness or light? Look at verse 6. If, look at the, what it says. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. How much clearer can you get? <laughs> are you walking in darkness or in light? Secondly, are you living righteously? Look at 1 John 2. Next page over probably in 1 John 2. Look at verse 29. You should ask yourself, am I walking in darkness or in light? And secondly, are you living righteously? 1 John 2 verse 29 says, if you know... That he is righteous, speaking of Christ. You know that everyone that doeth or is practicing righteousness is born of him. Look at chapter 2 verse 3. Another question to ask yourself is, do you keep Christ's commandments? Do you obey the Bible? First John 2 verse 3. He says, and hereby do we know that we know him if we keep. His commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. Look, look at that verse again, verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You know what? If John was a preacher in most churches today, he'd get kicked out. But that's what the Bible says. Do you keep the commandments of God? Are you obedient to the Bible? But not only that, do you love other believers? Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Man, he's just calling everybody a liar. <laughs> verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. So look, do you love other believers? Not only that, do you love the world? Look at verse 15 of this chapter. <clears throat> verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Do you love the world? And look at a couple more here. Look at 1 John 5, verse 4. 1 John 5, verse 4. Does your faith enable you to overcome the world and its sinful temptations. Temptations all around us, but the Lord and our faith in Him, it can enable us to have victory. Look at verse 4 of chapter 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? And lastly, and we've already kind of talked about this, and this is another question to ask yourself, do you live a lifestyle of continual sin and habitual sin? Look at verse 18 of this chapter. It says, We know that whosoever 
is born of God, sinneth not. Again, they do not live in a perpetual state of sin. They're not living in constant opposition to God. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. So look, I ask you again, have you been born again? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Christ? Has the evidence of this new nature manifested itself in your life? Now, some people, they may unjustly accuse me of preaching sinless perfection, but 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We will sin. I know that. But the saved man's inclination will be righteousness, not evil. The saved, they have an appetite for righteous living, and they're disgusted by their own sin. I'm not, no, they're not disgusted by everybody else's sin. Yeah, they'll be disgusted with everybody else's sin too, but guess what? They're going to be disgusted by their own sin even more. And if that describes you, if you have an appetite for righteous living and you're disgusted by the, your sin, then you should be thrilled because, praise God, you're saved. But if that does not describe you, I'd be terrified. It's been said that in true repentance, the heart points directly to God as a needle of a compass points to the north. Our heart will not look to live in opposition to God, but rather in harmony with Him if we're saved. Charles Spurgeon said that if a man does not live differently from what he did before, both at home and abroad, his repentance needs to be repented of, and his conversion is a fiction. Again, he that doeth evil hath not seen God. And the Bible makes it very clear that if one of his children are living a life of habitual and continual sin, then one of two things will happen. For one, he'll chastise them. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So if you are living in habitual and continual sin, it won't be long before God's loving hand of correction will bring about chastisement on you, and then you'll be brought back into the fellowship with God. You'll be brought back. But not only that, if the chastisement doesn't work, or maybe even it may go without chastisement, if you're living in continual, habitual, perpetual sin, then the second thing that will happen is he's going to take you home. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, we've seen this before. He says, there is a sin unto death. Look, there's no extended periods of an unrighteous living. If you are a child of God, He will deal with you. He's going to deal with you. And if you're living in sin and He's not chastising you, then as Hebrews 12 tells us, then you're illegitimate and you're not a son. So have you been born of God? As you've heard what God has said, listen, I beg you, if God has shown you that you are not born again, then do not continue as if all is well, because it is not. Do not stay lost in your sins. Do not ignore the working of the Holy Spirit in your life this morning. The Bible tells us that now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, tomorrow could be too late. But if Christ is your Lord and Savior then you need to imitate and mimic and follow after Him. You need to be a biblical Christian. And I want this church to be full of people that are biblical Christians. To be a biblical Christian is to be unaccepted by the world because true Christianity goes the exact opposite way of culture. 
True Christianity denies the world's philosophies and their ideas and lifestyle, and very few people that claim to be Christians strive to live up to that name. What is a Christian? It's a little Christ. It's a Christ follower, a Christ imitator, a Christ mimicker. And you understand that if this group of people that we have in our church, 40, 50, 60 people, if they decided to just be on fire for Christ and to, de- to daily yield to the Holy Spirit and dedicated themselves to Christ's likeness and holiness, our church and this community would change. You want to see real change? It's not going to happen on November 9th or whatever it is on Tuesday. You're not going to find real change from a politician. You're going to find real change from the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christians that are dedicated to living holy lives before the world and in private. It'll change everything. And if just you decided to live out a biblical Christianity, then your family and this church would be impacted. So won't you allow Christ to truly be Lord of your life? Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So two questions as we close. Do you know God? And are you following after him? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.